Hi, everyone. Today we're going to continue our discussion about Tete's favorite couple from DC, which is Superman and Lois Lane. So today we're going to be focusing our discussion a little bit more on a certain topic to narrow the discussion down, right? Because otherwise, yeah. I think our discussion would be like twenty hours long. It so today hours we're going to be narrowing hours. it down. Yeah, we're going to be narrowing it down to. One of the main things that attracted her to talk about this in more depth, and it is how um, the pairing of Superman slash Clark Kent and Lois Lane resembles Joel and Malka to some to some extent. Yes, yes, it does. That could well, as I had said last night, I when I was reading the book of Joel, and of course the developments you had shared with me that have not been yet released. Uh, I was struck. I thought, this feels a little familiar. Why do I like it so much? Why does it feel, I guess for lack of a better word, why does it feel like home? Why, why does it feel like I have, I have, I've understood this before? And I began to rack my brain and I didn't really think about it ironically until actually a couple days ago. I'm not sure what prompted it. Um, I was getting a whole rush of ideas uh, for Andre and I don't know why I was looking up. I, I think it was because um, I was really enjoying the vibe energy of Andre and Tatusia. And for some reason, I, I don't know how. It must have been some sort of, it just randomly popped in my head. Wait a minute. One of my oldest ships, my first ship, you know, my first ship as a kid. Um, Superman slash Clark Kent and Lois Lane. That is where I feel the instinct and the understanding, you know, that instant understanding and, and sometimes just the nonverbal understanding too. I thought that's where I'd seen it. That's where I had, uh, it felt familiar. It felt like home to me. And uh, that that's one of the main things that have just, that just struck me like a comet right in the face with uh, Joel and Malka now. And, and it's, it's been one of the main things that I've really truly and thoroughly, uh, have enjoyed and appreciated in, in your work so far. Thank you so much. So mostly it's the interaction and the naturalness. Is there anything else specific to the pairing that makes them seem like Joel and Malka? I think there are. I think there's a lot of instances, as we had discussed uh, last night, but we'll continue. Um, I, I think it's not only the instinct and understanding but i i think it's it, it's the way of understanding i think there's different types of understanding when you have a dynamic between two individuals and i i think it's an understanding of uh, how do i say of, of personalities that complement and we see this with joel and malka joel and malka malka is very curious malka is always curious she wants to find the truth about things she wants to seek the truth about things she just doesn't want to be satisfied with uh, a dismissal or a quick explanation that she feels you know well that i want to see it for myself i want to see if what you say is true so malka is always driven and motivated i think um by curiosity and we do see this falter sometimes, you know, just because of the weariness of her life. But I, I think with Joel, Joel prompts her to really engage in that curiosity. And that was a comparison point I found with uh, Malka and uh, 
Lois, I've, I felt like there's some there's some very good parallels between Malka and Lois, especially when you get into the finer incarnations where it's very fleshed out on Lois's part. And um, there there is this drive of curiosity and, and wanting to seek out things, even despite the risks, even taking risks. I think another point is both both of these uh, fantastic females are risk takers. So they are willing, you know, to take risks because I think they're, they're tired of status quo. They're tired of things always having to, how do I say, always remain the same or remain in a rut. And I think these are, these are two people that, you know, these are two women that are very driven to break out of these ruts. And, and I, how do I say it? There, there's just, uh, there's just something very determined about both women and I, I think that's, uh, Malka's, I think, differs a little bit. I think hers is more of a psychological and human connection level. While, you know, Lois's does touch on that a little bit, but, you know, hers is more of a, uh, it's, it's more of, it's more of a social thing. You know, she wants to expose, you know, all the bad stuff going on in society and politics and stuff like that. And, you know, she's very driven to serve you know, how do I say, do journalism to the highest calling that she feels it, it should do. Um, but of course, I mean, in, in the more intimate, nuanced moments, we do see this kind of human connection exploration uh, that she has with Clark and of course with Superman. Sometimes it, in some carnations, it's kind of dichotomized where it differs a little bit and she sort of treats them a little bit like two different people. Um, but then there are other ones where she's very holistic about it. So, you know, Clark and Superman are one and the same. Nothing changes. Um, I guess the only thing is, is that she doesn't quite go blabbing about his identity, which would be a good idea. That makes sense. Right. So you're right about the curiosity. I think that is something that Malka and Lois really share. And um and about the intimacy and the curiosity too, since, you know, Superman does have two identities. So that definitely would pique her interest. And I think, you know, what makes her want to know more about him and how he lives his double life. It definitely does. I, I feel like this is a, not, not quite a parallel, but if, if we want to cast a broad net, if you will, Maybe this is Malga's curiosity about Joel because Joel doesn't really have double identities, but he does how he does present a mask to society to a degree. What That's do you think? True, or, right? Yeah. Actually, compared to Sam, do you think he has more of a mask or less of a mask? Sam's is a very flashy mask, I will say that, but I think Joel's is more embedded. I think it's more. It comes to the point where. Joel has this dissonance at times where the mask becomes him, that it, that it's, it becomes part of his face, symbolically speaking. That's true. And that face is one of indifference, right? Indifference, I think cynicism, um, sort of a, sort of a cold melancholy that's, that spikes with arrogance from time to time. At least that's my, my take. That's true. And, and, you know, basically not rocking the boat. Unlike Sam, who wants to rock the boat. Sam rocked the boat so hard it capsized and he turned it into a nightclub. <laughs> exactly. So he's very different. I think Sam is a lot like Hellevorn's Eolf in many ways. 
Very much so. Very much so. This is why they get along so well in the crossover. This is why exactly. they're the selling team. Exactly. Yeah. Right. But yes, you're right. I think both Malka and Lois want to uncover Clint, Kent. Clark. Sorry, Clark. <laughs> it's <laughs> okay. That would Clint. be a cool name, though. Clint. Yeah. That, no, that's like a combo name, though. I yeah. ca- that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Clark <laughs> and Joel. So that makes sense. How about... um. How about Clark? We're t- we're, which an incarnation of him are you going to be focusing on? Because you know there are there are so many different versions of him, so it's very hard to say. You know, it's hard to talk about him in general because there's so many versions. But I did watch a little bit of what you showed me in Superman Red Sun, and it's interesting to me how dark he can get. Like you talked about last night. Unlike, you know, what I saw of him before in those very old cartoons, maybe from the 70s, and, you know, you know, passing references to him online, he does feel, you know, like someone who does struggle a lot to maintain his ideological purity, and that leads him down some pretty bad paths. Exactly, it does. And before I get on to the incarnation, um, we um, we're probably, I'm planning on getting the dvd of red sun and we could do maybe a live review reaction of it because well you and i are both kind of russian history Mm -hmm. um um enthusiasts let's say Mm -hmm. we are by no means experts so people who are experts in this field come and uh, educate us if you will but but we but you and i don't appreciate watching how do i say the kind of kind of the kind of the the weird mishandling of trying to portray Russian culture, but you know, can't mm-hmm. even say that as a monolith, but, no. but we're going to do a reaction sometimes. We um, will be. Of that. Later yeah. tonight, we're going to be doing a reaction on Twitter, Twitch and YouTube through restream of one of the scenes that you showed me from red sun. And it's where Soviet Superman kills comrade Stalin. And we will be pausing it from time to time for, you know, our, uh, some of the discussions, you know, to talk about the dialogue, that happens between them as well as the characterization of Superman and also, you know, how Russian culture is portrayed in this American cartoon, because I think it kind of does, you know, follow some cold war tropes from what I could see. It does. It kind of follows, unfortunately, a little bit of cold war tropes. Um, and I guess if you will, what in Russia they call the cranberry tree, which is where, people in the West think they know Russia or they understand it, but then they, they have so many misconceptions and they try to perpetuate stereotypes that are not accurate um, to Russian culture. And just as a, um, a disclaimer or a clarification here, when we say Russian, you know, there, there's so much to Russia. There's different regions, different people. You know, as I said before, as I've always starts like with Andre, you know, Andre is very different from what, you know, when we say Russian, that's different. Like, for example, someone like Katya originally or, um, you know, people up in, I don't know, Moscow on the north. They're very different from Andre. The world is different. The the, the region, the food, the accent, the ideas, the beliefs, um, even the ethnic and, you know, the ethnographic makeup is very different. So when we say Russia... Um, I think we're probably just going to use the term Soviet because I guess that was one of the main 
focal points of Soviet was to like just put everybody under this umbrella branch of unification. Because if you said Russian, you're implying something ethnic. And someone like Andre doesn't really consider himself Russian. He considers him first and foremost a Don Cossack. So mm -hmm. even though he's speaking Russian, although it's a heavily dialogued, accented Russian that is, you know, what's known in the Don region as, as the Balachka dialect, um, he doesn't consider himself Russian. And, and that's what always puts Andre at odds at times. I understand. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But... Um, I guess without further ado, um, we will continue with what incarnation we are going to compare Joel and Malka with. And the one I'm choosing is one that uh, hopefully some people are familiar with, and that's going to be the most recent incarnation uh, with the DC um, slash uh, director Zack Snyder's trilogy um, uh, that has been released in the DC cinematic uh, releases uh, in the past couple years, uh, starting with Man of Steel uh, in 2013, and then with the most, and then we have, of course, followed down with Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, and then uh, right up until uh, the very recent in 2017 uh, Justice League. Absolutely, right. Right. So we're talking about this timeline. And what would you say that Clark is like in this timeline? Is he a little bit like the Soviet Superman? I would have to say it's brilliant. It's brilliant what director Zack Snyder did with Clark Kent's character. He understood the gravity and sort of the if you will, like the reputation that that character carries throughout all the years, and he respected it very well. I don't, I want to say a little bit like Soviet Superman, and we definitely see a lot of this darker side uh, pretty much emerge in uh, Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice, uh, which we'll get into in a little bit, um, because... Snyder was not afraid to throw out, you know, to toss into us the darkness that, that comes with idealization and, if you will, the light, because there, there, there are dark things that have to come as a consequence of, of dealing with the light. And like you said, you know, trying to retain to that um, pure ideology, or, or at least in this sense, maybe not so much ideology in Clark Kent in, in this aspect of the films, but more of a more of a, a moral conviction that cannot be sustained entirely within how the world works. You know, it, it's like there's a frailty with that kind of morality that, you know, cannot be sustained. And if if that cannot be maintained, there's dire consequences that follow with that because there's such an, an assumption of authority that it becomes kind of terrifying, which is why uh, Batman slash Bruce Wayne feels it's necessary. He has to do something, you know, about about Superman. And, uh, mm -hmm. and unfortunately, that has some dire consequences. We won't reveal spoilers yet in case you guys haven't seen it yet, but we will get into some spoilers. So warning, warning, if you don't want to hear spoilers, get out. If you do, you're more than welcome to buckle up for the roller coaster. That makes sense. So you know what I just realized, and besides the physical similarities to Andre, there are some similarities, because especially with the Soviet thing, it made me think about how Andre had some very strict 
well, not strict, but he held true to a lot of ideas that he had from before the revolution. You know, these traditional ideas of what it means to be a man, what it means to be a Cossack, you know, what kind of profession he should have, you know, in the army and stuff. And that all had to change when he had to go through um, the revolution. It did. You're very much right. Uh, besides the physical resemblance, which kind of delighted me to a degree, which now I, I have this mental image of Chernosov in that uniform, and it's glorious in my mind. I'm trying not to distract myself with that vision. Wow, you're right. I think he would actually make a very good Soviet Superman. If they he, get he it does right, look he like would. Him. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, um, to anyone who is new, because you know when we talk about these broader subjects, we might be, you know, we might have listeners who have not listened to us before. Andre is Tete's protagonist from her novel in progress 70 fierce years and he is a cossack who loses a lot of his lifestyle and a lot of his culture after the russian revolution because many of the many of the cossacks sided with the white russians or the tsarists the tsarist side so that's why you know a lot of red army soldiers and commissars decided to basically assimilate the cossacks or send them to re-education camps Definitely. So this is basically Andre's life. Andre has um, lost everything through the decossification um, that uh, took place. Um, and Andre, Andre, uh, like I said, I, I've been, I'm very privileged to have uh, known him for mm -hmm. so long and so vividly. But yeah, they're, they're, um, and also I just wanted to throw out there in case you were wondering when I said Chernosov, Andre looks a lot like a cross between the great poet Mayakovsky and the actor Andre, ironically sharing the same name, Andre <laughs> Chernosov, <laughs> yes. um, who, um, who actually looks a lot like Mayakovsky himself. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah. He played he him in a him. Russian serial. Yes, he played him. He portrayed the great poet Mayakovsky in the 2013 Russian serial drama Mayakovsky Dievdin, or Two Days in English. Right, right. So yes, um, back to the comparison between um, Lois and Malka and Joel and Clark. So I think in the incarnation that you're talking about, you know, Clark has a darker nature to him, and he's so you know, blinded in a way by his own idealism and how the world works, that it's starting to lead him down a bad path, right? Because he's so stubborn about his ideals, kind of like how Andre is very stubborn about the fact, you know, that he's a Cossack and, you know, he is so-and-so and, you know, he lives a certain lifestyle, especially, you know, his womanizing ways, which he, he kind of prides himself on. True, Andre does pride himself on this. Um, you know, he prides himself on the stout masculinity that he has as a Don Cossack. Um, but he also cherishes other concepts too, like owning land, um, being able to raise and breed horses, because Andre takes great pride in that. You know, his family has raised and bred horses for years. Like, I mean, right from the early 1700s and um you know andre just he, he's very proud of the fact that you know he and his family own this farmstead they own this land and um they work the land hard and, and they're very proud of it you know and they're also proud too of of um you know i guess if you will their their services that they've done 
um, in the military, you know, like all of his grandfathers and forefathers and his, you know, ancestor, they partook in some really great stuff. Like, for example, his predecessor took place, took part in Turkish oh. wars, but also like during the first great patriotic war, which was the war of, um, you know, that took place in 1812 against Napoleon's invading forces, um, the various Turkish stuff throughout the year. So, um, Crimea. So Andre feels very proud and, um, prior to the Russian Revolution, he felt he felt a little proud himself. I mean, he made it through World War One, which he didn't understand, but he was like, okay, war happens, that's what we're here for. Um, it, it did mess him up quite a bit, but nothing messed him up as the Russian Revolution because this is neighbor against neighbor, and he suffers, you know, one of the, if not the worst betrayal in his life from one of his, uh, you know, most trusted peers, um, uh, which was uh, Kierka. And Kierka was a double agent uh, for the Reds, you know, kind of masking as a white agent. You know, uh, well, a white officer anyway. White army That's officer. That's true. Right, <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. Right. So um, how does Clark's um, uh, stubbornness compare to Andre's in these incarnations? I, well, I would have to say Andre's stubbornness begins to wane. Like, yes, he'll keep his womanizing ways and he, he's going to be ucho macho. But um, he realizes that that way of life is dead now. You know, there's no such thing as having your own land. There's no such thing. Horses are, are being gone and replaced with tractors and engines. So who has need of horses, right? Everybody wants to be industrial and like machines. And it frightens Andre because he feels like people themselves are becoming machines and he feels like he's going to become a machine too. And he's very frightened by the homogenization that the state imposes that, you know, every citizen has to be this standard, perfect ideal. And it, it frightens Andre. So Andre's stubbornness is different from Clark's because Clark's it, it's, it's purely morally motivated by this very deep centered root of conviction well, Andre has deep-rooted sense of conviction about certain things, like doing right by people, not harming other people. Now, I mean, he will deck a guy on the floor if he makes him mad. I mean, that's just Andre. But, um, you know, as as we've kind of seen in a recent scene with Tattoos, yeah, he felt very um, convicted about something that he had almost done, and it really, mm -hmm. it really haunted him for a very long time. Right. Yeah. So, so Clark is definitely more stubborn than Andre. Definitely more stubborn than Andre. And I do want to bring this to a point. I feel, and correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like Clark's stubbornness is a little bit like Joel's stubbornness. Hmm. I think so, too. I mean, it has that sort of dark overtone, right? And that kind of, I will never budge from my position because I think he has a sort of pride to him, Clark, right? He wants he to take pride in the fact that he is the defender of humanity and that he's doing the right thing. Exactly, he is. At all costs, even if he's disregarding other people's perspectives. And this is something that Batman tries to remind him. Exactly, exactly. This is... And, you know, he does. You, you, you encapsulated that so perfectly. I mean, you need, you need to write commentaries on this. You certainly do. Hey, I'm, I'm slowly learning the ropes. So it's a lot easier than I thought. I thought I would have to spend 10 hours reading the DC wiki or something. 
<laughs> oh, no, just watch some clips on YouTube. And you know what? I, I will send you some like mini posts on Tumblr. You can just take a, a very, you, you can take a crash course on soups and be done in about 15, 10 minutes. I can guarantee right, you that. Right, that makes sense. Thank you. Yeah. So yes, yeah. I, you're right. I think there is a similarity because Joel also has this pride, but you know, unfortunately, unlike Superman, who is you know, taking pride in the fact he's defending humanity, Joel's taking pride in something that is functionally useless. True, true he is. But then again, is he taking pride in something like... Is he, but is he not taking pride in something that's not, not really useless, but um, the, core, the core crux of the human self, which is the seed of pride, I mean, if you will, as, as, um, as they say in Jungian uh, and Freudian psychology, the, the ego, is he, is he not pretty much protecting and promoting, or, or at least how do I say, for, formulate, forming the sense of ego, or the ego itself. Mm, I guess. Is Clark doing that too? Not really. I think Clark is doing this on a different scale, because there are times where I think Clark has a serious disconnect with his sense of self, and this is why it's so important that he has Lois, because Lois is one of the very few people besides his parents uh, that keeps him with a sense of self that you know he he is a person he is a man yes he has these godlike powers but you know with these people he can be a man he can he can love and have affection and cry and have his breakdowns and things that's very true i think for someone like him with these powers and these responsibilities it's very easy for him to lose track of who he really is outside of these responsibilities because they will eat up a lot of his time definitely they eat a lot of, of his time his sense of self and sometimes his sense of self when he just wants to live normal like clark a lot of times that's threatened like like um enemies could find out about his identity and try to harm those around him or number two just time like god forbid you sit down to have dinner oh no oh no gotta save a ship sinking oh crap i gotta leave my pork chop on the table you know mm -hmm. no that makes a lot of sense while joel he does not have these responsibilities and he is as such more easily compartmentalized as we discussed before true true he is isn't he um i, I but you know i i do think with joel is that joel locks himself in this mental landscape that is if you will he's wedged himself into these erect barriers of of pride and trying to prove a point with himself um do, how do i describe it it's like um there's such a heaviness and gravity about joel and how he takes how he processes humanity through his own sense of self what do you think yeah he's an overthinker and i think Clark, he's not really an overthinker in contrast, because if he does overthink, it's normal because he has to fight aliens and, you know, all these like people who are trying to kill people. So it makes sense for him to overthink because there's a lot of things for him to get accomplished, right? But Joel mm -hmm. is an ordinary person with ordinary concerns. So his overthinking is more dramatic, like the amount of it compared to what he should be thinking about. That's true. That's true. 
And if Clark um, was an overthinker, he wouldn't be able to accomplish a lot of things because if he was constantly doubting himself, he would not be able to stop that, for example, a spaceship from crashing. That's true. That's true. I, I, you know, I think, you know, as we progress in this convo, I think we're going to see that, um, you know, in these incarnations that we're speaking of, you know, the trilogy films, um, I, don't, I don't know if I should call it trilogy, but these films, um, they kind of explore him. He's actually constantly battling self-doubt, you know, and, and this is what kind of leads him down this darker path. It's almost like a, a path of desperation to try to validate himself and what he's doing. That's true. So now I can really see the comparison with Joel. I think Joel... And Joel, you know, your fantasy yeah, yeah. version of my character in your Tapas uh, community series of Scale, Blood, and Bone. Please, guys, check it out. It's amazing. She does really great world building. And there's a link in the description if you guys want to read it. So, yes, um, I think he's a bit like Joel, right? I think that's a better comparison because Joel is from a fantasy universe and he has powers because he's a wizard. And he also has responsibilities because he's the prince of a kingdom. But Joel, from my series, The Book of Joel, does not have such responsibilities. He is an everyday person who doesn't have special powers, and he's, he doesn't have a special position. He's just, you know, a bookkeeper, and he's no, nobody, basically. True. I think Joel might be a better comparison, because like you said, Joel is, he has this responsibility thrust upon him. And, you know, unlike... Unlike Clark, who has these powers that he, he never wanted, he was just born with them because he's not really human. He's a oh. Krypton, right? He's a Kryptonian from Krypton. Um, you know, Joel, Joel, Joel is like Clark because both have had responsibility thrust upon them. But unfortunately for Clark, he does have these godlike powers that he never asked for, and he doesn't always necessarily embrace them or enjoy them. Um, while Jules, on the other hand, he's we we see him now. He's on a very dark path to godhood. He wants to, he wants to get those godlike powers, but unfortunately, it's not going to end up like he thought it would be. Absolutely. So yeah, I think you're right. Jules, Joel, and Clark do have this kind of arrogance to them. This kind of assumption that you know they're right and they are gonna will they're willing to do anything to make sure that they believe they are right. So that kind of entrenches their thoughts, their thoughts, right? And basically kind of creates a vicious cycle that they can't really get out of. It does. It does create a vicious cycle for these men that they cannot get out of. And I think this is why it's so important they have people who, who snap them out of it, who get them out of it, who, who are, if you will, the, the light that gets them out of it. And... I see that with Joel and Malka. I see that with Joel and also Malka. And I see this with um, Clark and Lois. And it's, it's it, with all three couples, I think it's very poignantly, sharply and vividly uh, portrayed. And it's, it's just so important that these three men have these, you know, very important people in their lives that snap them out of it and, and uh, really rein in these problems that they have but also keep them in touch with their sense of humanity and and a sense of and a sense of real self right that makes sense 
Right. Um, another point I wanted to make is that I think Malka is otherwise very different from Lois, other than the fact that they really want to understand Clark and Joel and how, you know, they are both very curious when it comes to the person they want to understand more. But other than that, I think Lois is a lot more snappier than, than Malka, right? Malka well, is not naive, but I think I, she is um, not really, she doesn't give off a feeling that she is street smart, even though she is, like she doesn't, you know, she is not the kind of person you think, oh, she has attitude. Well, I don't well, think Lois has attitude per se, but she has maybe a little bit more than Malka. I'm not saying she is like, um, you know, Black Widow. No. Well, that is so interesting because do you, this is particular. This is particularly. Why am I talking like an Irishman? Sorry, <laughs> my tongue got tongue tied. This is one of the many reasons why I chose the uh, recent DC cinematic slash Zack Snyder incarnations for this very reason. Because the character of Lois Lane in this in this series, if you will is very different than the Lois Lane we have known and loved from the comics or, like, say, the animated series from the 90s or the live-action series from the 90s. Right. So how different is she? Well, for one thing, now, this, this kind of um, jolted a lot of fans. I know it did me when I first saw it. It made me have a bit of head whiplash. Like, oh, is that Lois? That can't be Lois. Is that Lois? Oh, oh it is. Well, for one thing... Uh, so in this version, uh, Lois is uh, portrayed by actress um, Amy Adams, and her appearance is very different uh, from any Lois we have encountered. Usually Lois, right from her first incarnation in 1938 up until throughout the various series um, and incarnations and whatnot, she's always been, de been depicted as a woman with long black hair, or at least stylized black hair. And, uh, you know, as well as either being, you know, dark eyed or possibly blue or green eyed, just depending on the artist's uh, preference or whatever have you, or the actress. Um, and then as we delve into it, Lois's personality, like you said, is very snappy. You know, she is kind of, um, there is, um, there is a, a jadedness to her and experience to her. Um, but, you know, she has this, she's very tough and brazen, you know, she's very tough and brazen, she's, um, she has to be, she's in a world that's predominantly, at least when she first started in 1938, dominated by men, so she really has to show her grit to get ahead and push through and, um, you know, prove her worth, and, uh, you know, so, so this makes her a very tough cookie, it makes her very, um, you know, snappy, brazen, um, Maybe to some degrees, maybe she's a, a, a these this this incarnation with the comics and the other books, or and other things. She's a bit she's a bit like Tattoosia in a way, a little bit. Mm, right. And how does the Amy Adams version differ? The Amy Adams version, uh, really, it, it was wonderful, but it was so different. It took me a while to accept it. Like my brain was like four oh four not found. Um, so Amy Adams, uh, differed because, well, for one thing, uh, she was a redhead. I mean, oh, so that's another comparison redhead. between Joel and, and Malka, right? Like the hair yes. colors. Yes. And just seeing her contrast with Clark's dark hair, I mean, Kill Bill sirens went off in my head, you know? 
instantly thought about Joel and Malka, right? I did. When I saw it, I was like, wait a minute, where have I seen this before with Joel and Malka? I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> but <laughs> um, but where am I going with this? And and welcome uh, uh, welcome to the uh, person 94 who just joined us. Thank you. I'm sorry yeah. I couldn't pronounce your name. P. Um, Felipe. P. Felipe. P. Felipe, thank you, because I have my phone turned upside down because of the microphone. Mm-hmm. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we're just talking yeah. about, you know, Tete's favorite ship, which is, you know, Superman and Lois Lane from the 2013 Man of Steel movie and some other continuities. Yes, exactly. Thank you. So, so yes, um, so, so Amy Adams, uh, the way Zack Snyder, way Zack Snyder, had um, along with the writers, had her depicted was so different than any Lois Lane that we encountered. This was a more vulnerable Lois. Um, this was a Lois who was not sure about herself. This was a shyer Lois. This was a Lois that was shy. She was not brazen. She was not tough. She was not snappy. Um, there was a softer sweetness about Lois. She's still a little tough. I mean, she gets angry about when people do the wrong thing. So she is very much led by conviction like Clark, which is why they click and vibe so hard. Um, but this is a, this is such a softer, sweeter character. And this, the softness and gentleness it, at times, it feels almost slightly Miyazakian. And it, it's, it's, it's a wonderful uh, jolt of whiplash. Cause we're so used to brazen Lois, you know, brazen brassy, you know, bold as bronze uh you know lois and and seeing this um gentler sweeter more vulnerable shyer version of lois that is softer and subdued and worried about things and angry about things but also feeling kind of vulnerable and and sometimes hopeless at times Mm -hmm. this does not by any means make her weak but it makes her more human because i think prior to that lois had a lot of bad assery in her you know she um was constantly doing things. I mean, you know, honestly, like even from 1938, I mean, she's doing things like when push came to shove, if a bunch of gangsters were chasing her, she'd probably pick, she, you know, there was one point where she did pick up a machine gun and shot them, you know? Mm, I see. Also, I did read the Wikipedia page for the man of steel earlier today. And they said that they changed a lot of things in the continuity to suit the times. So it's no longer 1938, right? And maybe that's one of the reasons why Lois doesn't have to be a badass. Because, you know, it's no longer strange, quote unquote, or abnormal for a woman to be in journalism. And, you know, let's face it, journalism's kind of dying. I know The Man of Steel came out in 2013. But even back then, newspapers weren't really a thing anymore. Yeah, I think we're more adapting it for like not only newspaper but also like online stuff because like all newspapers are online now. That's true, but people are not reading them. I think if they changed her to a marketing consultant for an influencer, that would be probably more up to date for <laughs> 2022. Or you know, she's a manager for a YouTuber or something, helping him schedule his videos or something. That's true, but I mean, but but people still need news. You know what I mean? That's true. Like the main, so I guess, you know, she's always been one of those mainstream media people, right? Not one of those independent reporters. Well, not independent reporters, independent bloggers, I should say. That's not the same thing as a reporter. 
I think she could probably be an independent reporter. I mean, the way I saw it in in Man of Steel, it it was like you did have print publication, but at the same time, you did have like online publication, and and this kind of caused a a bit of riff with with um, I guess Lois and other journalists' work because you can't edit what goes out on print. Once it goes out on print, oh, crap, you can't change that. But you can easily go back and edit something online on the paper site. Like, uh, we're sorry for this correction and all that. Or just change, or even delete articles, which kind of makes it a little dangerous when you think. I mean, unless it has, like, a secure proxy, but I don't know how digital newspapers work. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I think it's a bit dated since, you know, the movie's already 10 years ago. So maybe back then digital newspapers were a thing. But now I think people are just following Twitter and following these news newspaper or, or news channels, um, Twitter accounts for updates. And That's live true. streams. Yeah. Maybe she could maybe she could join like a news corporation or something. Yeah, she could make a live stream or be one of those broadcasters who do live streams. Yeah, she could be more like a tele telejournalist. I think. I think that yeah, would be more. Yeah, I think that's more upgraded. Yeah, I think the yeah. two thousand because back in two thousand thirteen, you know, people who were making these movies, you know, back then they were in their fifties. Now they're in their sixties. So that gives us a perspective of why they may be behind the times. Because most directors are not young people or younger people. They're usually older. So they don't. Oh. You know, back in two thousand thirteen, they didn't really quite know you know, what was going out per se sometimes. That's true. I mean, I will say, I think, I don't, I don't know how old Zack Snyder is. I need to look how old he is, but. 40 or 50. Yeah, 40 or 50. But also too, I mean, there wasn't too much, you know, you don't want to adapt too much that people can't recognize it because they're already taking broad steps with, you know, really altering Lois's character as, as she had been seen in canon before. That's true. I'm starting to think that a lot of the superhero canon sometimes isn't really a canon, but a set of canons. Because there's been so many writers and directors who are writing stories with these characters, but they're basically like templates that they just kind of add and change. So under each person's direction, it just becomes a different character. It really does. It really do I have to say that I agree with you. It's not really canon, but a set of canons. That's why I said you have to be careful what incarnation you're picking up um, because you could get a really, I don't want to say crappy one because everybody will get mad and I won't say which is which, but I'm telling people which ones I prefer, but I prefer the ones that deal with the darker edge, the more flawed humanity. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't like the ones that are too happy or peppy or too idealistic or very flat or, you know, just have Clark as a complete, I don't know, wishy-washy washy. Exactly. I do not like that. that. That is my pet peeve. Do not bring that to my table. Do not bring that into my house, you know? OP, basically Super Saiyan type. Exactly. I do not want that. I do not want that. I do not want that. <laughs> I, I, I feel like that Dr. Seuss thing. I do not want that, Sam I am. <laughs> <laughs> right. That makes sense. But yes, you know, I think it's very interesting to think about how these characters have been written throughout the years because let's face it if they have been around since the 30s there's no way there could be one continuity there's so many people who have been writing writing these characters adding to them subtracting things from them over the years that 
they are really not one character anymore, but a set of characters. So maybe in the future, we could put on the, the thumbnail, Sna Zack Snyder's Superman. How about that? To, to specify that you are talking about the Zack Snyder uh, continuity, not the other people who wrote him, you know, for example, in the 50s, for example. Right, right. Like the, like the, uh, like the Flesher animations or something. Yeah, I think those were for those were for young children, right? I I would like to say they were. Well, you see, that's the thing. It it depends on what we now deem for young children, because nowadays a lot of that stuff would not be shown to young children. Like, you know. Um, but the thing is, you have to remember too. I think people wanted things that were more more simple, less violent. Uh, well, not violent, but less complicated. Right, that makes sense, right? Yeah, I think back then a lot of these superheroes were also used, you know, for certain reasons. For example, we know that Captain America, the comics in the, you know, World War II were kind of made for patriotic reasons. Exactly, they were. So you have to see that throughout the whole continuity of the mythos, these characters change and their purposes change too. Um, the way their intentions and motivations change a lot too. Um, even Lois herself has gone through drastic changes. Um, like in the fifth, like from the, I would say fifties and sixties, she was very subdued and she kind of lost a lot of her original brassiness from the fifties and sixties. And she was more focused on getting a man, which was not what thirties and forties Lois was about. She was about, you know, getting the news, exposing the bad guys and, um, was she thinking about a man? Not really. She liked Clark, but she was kind of oblivious a little bit for the most part as to who he really was. And I think she's more hooked on the concept of, of, uh, of Superman. But, but, you know, I think there were some deviations where she realized, Oh, he's one of the same. Oh crap. You know, it's weird. It's jolting. How, why do these two men act so differently? Cause, cause there's more of a dichotomy. I think, I think between, uh, Clark and Superman like I mean you could really see the driving edge of that dichotomy of personalities that's true right but yeah um I guess um Joel and Malka another thing that really characterizes them is Joel's self-denial and self-destruction in a way because he does want to be locked away and I think Clark I guess he wants to obfuscate his real personality sometimes because he's so obsessed with his responsibilities, just like Jules from Scale Bun Bone. Exactly. You have hit the nail on the head, my friend. That is exactly the struggle. So I think both, oh, all three of them, let's just say not both, but all three of them do struggle with exposing their real self and maybe distinguishing their goals, I mean, for Jules and Clark, at least, distinguishing themselves from their goals, because they are so consumed by their goals. But Joel, he is not really consumed by goals, but by his um, thought experiments, as he calls them. That's true. He's consumed with the goal of proving himself right. That's right. what he's consumed by. And his, you know. his goal, you know, for people who have not been following my series, who are new to this, 
Um, the goal is to basically prove that he doesn't need that much in his life. He has always struggled with a speech impediment, which is a stutter, as well as shyness and an overly argumentative personality. So, you know, growing up, his parents were not affectionate or supportive. His mother had a rage disorder, so she always cussed him out. Even though she wanted to be close with him, you know, that never really happened. So he always felt very isolated and alone. So he always felt like he didn't want to put so much effort into getting close to people because, you know, he's already used to being alone. And he thinks there's nothing worse than putting a lot of effort into something and getting nothing back. It's not so much about being hurt, because I, I don't think he cares about being hurt anymore. He, he thinks it's the default. I think the problem for him is not wanting to put in any effort. Because he knows you have to put effort into to getting something, right? But he doesn't want to put in effort because he wants to convince himself that he doesn't need those things. That's true. That's true. He doesn't. He doesn't. It's, um, it's, it, it's actually, it's, it's so, it's so distorted within himself. You know, it, it actually makes it scary in a way, doesn't it? Yes. And I think his isolation especially the fact that he has no real close friends. Like even his supposedly best friends, Frankie and Sam are very different from him and he doesn't talk to them about his emotions. No, no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. So that's the, um, that's the, uh, that's, that's the jolting thing of it, you know? And, you know, one could say, I think one could say that about Joel and Clark. They don't really have close friends. I mean, Joel does have Fahid, but they're separated for so many years, and then they only reunite under the most saddest of circumstances. That's true. And Clark, you know, because he has a double identity, and he is so consumed by fighting evil that he doesn't have time to chit-chat with people, really. He and, doesn't. You know, I mean, over time, I think he kind of drifts away from his parents because they live far away from him and they don't know the full extent of how his life is like. You know, being a double, living a double life, you know, having to work at day and, you know, fight crime by night. Which is exactly. very taxing. And also, as he grows older, I mean, it's normal for him to drift apart from his parents because even if they are very loving, they have their own lives now. That's true. And, uh, you know, there's there's so many wonderful carnations, including Snyder's carnation, where they explore this. And, you know, and I, I guess I guess what Snyder was also trying to do, too, is that like other incarnations that had done this, that his parents do know what he's going through. Like they're not there with him, but he can talk intimately with them. Um, I mean, granted, no one's bugging his phone. I don't think so, but, you know, <laughs> I don't know who would bug his phone. I do not know. Super villains. <laughs> Probably. There has been instances where that has happened. I've seen that. Um, and then somebody tries to, like, kidnap or kill his parents, and then you don't want to do that because, I mean, all hell will break loose. Exactly. Do not touch Clark's parents. Don't touch Ma and Pa, you know? Right, exactly. That makes sense. I mean, you know... I think most superheroes are actually very isolated. I think the exception would be the Avengers because they are a huge group of superheroes. And the X-Men... They're all like friends. Yeah, they're yeah. all like friends. It's almost like a big club. So everyone's fine. They're fine with that because they're all friends and happy. Yeah, exactly. But for people like Superman and even Batman, 
it's harder because they well actually Batman's better because he has Robin right. He's got Robin. He's got Alfred. You know, Alfred's such a good guy. Like Alfred's like his his dad and his family. Like Alfred's like the best. Like best dude of the year. You know. Right. Yeah, I just realized that it's true. I mean, uh, Superman doesn't really have any friends. I mean, outside of Lois and his parents, he doesn't have any male friends. I just realized. Okay, his dad doesn't count. <laughs> there was there was a character called Jimmy Olsen, but he was more like an annoying kid that um, Clark had to make sure this dumb kid didn't get killed. And I mean, he did look out for Jimmy, but it, it was more like not really a friend, more like, I don't know, irritating, little, no, irritating little brother, son type of figure. Like, I don't know what you would call, <laughs> what do you call a brother and a son mixed together? I don't know. I don't know either, but it's definitely not a peer. I was talking about a like peer. a peer. He has no peers. I, I mean, look I, at I Batman. Batman. Batman doesn't really, I guess they're <laughs> friends, like you said, but then, you know, every three months they have to fight it out. <laughs> they so got to duke not, it out. I don't want really them in an elevator. Supportive. I mean, he doesn't have <laughs> someone that who's, supportive. Yeah, exactly. Someone who's very critical of him. They're always criticizing each other. Like, it, it's like there can't be one convo you know, at the Justice League when they are, where they're not going to pick up an argument. I mean, it's worse than Andre and Kierka, for heaven's sakes, you know? Right. So to wrap up this podcast, is there anything else that we should touch upon between, you know, Malka and Joel and Lois Lane and Clark Kent? I think there's a few other things to wrap up with this. I think one thing too, um, what I love from uh, the Snyder trilogy, if you will, I love I love the subtlety of it. I love um I I and also too I want to say too this is also one of those incarnations where Clark is very sensual with uh with Lois. Oh, I see. So that There's was because we did talk about this before, you know, in, during our last episode, you know, how there were certain incarnations of Clark that you really enjoyed, where he is a very virile man, kind of like Andre, right? Very much so. I mean, not as wild <laughs> as Andre, because no one compares to Andre. I would, I would be scared if Andre had to become, like, I don't know, a Soviet super... I'd be scared, because... It would be a disaster. We should have like a funny um, crossover where that happens. What do you think? Sam is is Captain America. (laughs) Uh, You know what? You're going to hate me. I I thought Sam would make a good Lex Luthor because I don't know why, but Jesse Eisenberg in that kind of reminded me of him a little. Who's Luthor? Luthor. Lex Luthor. The villain. Oh, I don't know him. I I mean, I've heard of him, but... I didn't know he was a villain. Okay, okay I have to so, look this up. Yeah. Look, look at, okay, look up Jesse Eisenberg, Lex Luthor. Okay, um, Lex Luthor. So which movie was he in? Uh, Batman versus uh, Superman, Dawn of Justice. Oh, this guy. Yeah, I've seen pictures of him before. So is he the bald one? No, no, he's the one with hair. Okay, okay why is he bald in certain pictures? What? What? He wasn't bald in that movie. Okay, I saw a picture. He had long, black, um, blonde locks. I did see the one with the blonde hair, but the second one is of him bald. And there's a comic illustration of um the character, Lex Luthor, and he's bald too. So does he eventually become bald? 
Uh, well, in canon, he's bald, so I, that that's what made Batman versus uh, Superman a little weird because instead of like an older guy who was bald and like this, you know, cynical millionaire, Jesse Eisenberg portrayed the character, or at least Snyder had him portray it, um, as this very young kid. Um, I, I guess like if. Um, Oh, what's his name? It, like if Elon Musk went insane and just wanted to blow up the world, which I'm pretty sure he's probably doing right now, subtly. <laughs> Screw you. Yes, Screw I you see your it. darn Tesla cars. Yeah, but, exactly. Um, your darn Tesla cars that explode. But, um, uh, and, and with long hair and, and just like this really wild flamboyant kid that was just cracking jokes. And on the surface, he seems like a funny guy, but then you realize he's deranged as hell. I don't know. Sam would probably be angry that you cast him as a villain because yeah. you know, you know what? He's pretty much like Clark Kent, but you know, without the convictions. Like he thinks he's always doing the right thing. But Sam, wouldn't it be fun to play a villain? You'll get fangirls. He's like, no. He likes being goofy. Like he doesn't want to be dark and funny. He wants to be cheerful and light and funny. All right. Well, still, it would, I, I thought of a funny crossover, though. I mean, it would have been a funny crossover with, with Sam and, and Andre doing that. And I actually I actually thought of a scene. Uh, I was thinking of dialect for it. And it was funny because um, I'll explain that later. Cause we're going to go. We're going to deviate into two hours if we do this. Right. Um, but just one last thing about this scenario. Um, so if Sam is going to be a superhero or supervillain of any type, his outfit is going to be a giant inflatable among us suit and when you first oh see him like, he's going to use it to fly he's he inflated so big that he flies in the sky and then when he wants to land he makes it you know, he kind of lets some of the air go so then he's like descending and then he crashes on his opponent so this is funny oh my god yeah because i did see this funny picture and video on youtube of um this person inside um an inflatable among us suit and basically it was so big that it was just really hard to walk properly and i was like you know what this is what sam would do he and frankie would dress up as a pink and red among us in these giant inflatable suits and just basically bump against each other all the time they would. This is they. They would find this fun. They would do like that. That bumping, whatever they do, like uh, it's like, like inflatable sumo wrestling or something. Exactly. It's going to be so hilarious. And basically, he, they're going to start bumping other people into it, so it just becomes this giant circle of bumping. I. This is funny. I love it. I love it. And um, I want to add in there. We'll probably toss in Tatusia as uh, Lois except she's just like an extra bitchy Lois like like super bitch Lois you know mm -hmm. <laughs> and I guess she and she and Andre can argue a lot which which is which is which is so different from actual you know Lois and Clark's interactions because they, they don't really argue that much you know there there is some conflict but not the way Andre and Tatuzia argue and we've seen that haven't we that's true very much but, so um, yeah but um, but I guess I guess to wrap it up. So what what I love, um, how we get onto that? What I love uh, from Snyder's version is that, you know, he is a. I think he is a wonderful master of cinema. I think he is. I don't think he gets enough credit. Um, I think um, it's just a sad result of people just wanting more explosions and more like just action stuff like Marvel, which I'm not going to get into it. 
you know, there are good points about Marvel, but I'm focusing on this. Um, I, I feel like a lot of, and a lot of other fans too feel like, well, you know, maybe the public wasn't ready for the um, subtle artistic way that Snyder was presenting it because the way he formulated and formed and, and also, you know, he worked so well with his actors. He really brought out the best out of Amy Adams uh, portraying Lois and Henry Cavell playing uh, Clark slash Superman. He really brought out their best acting ability. It was, it's, it's just, it's just a testimony of how you can do this beautiful emotional subtlety, which you would expect to find in an art house film or a very beautiful indie film that makes you cry, not in a superhero movie you would not expect that but he does uh, they, they both deliver that and it's beautiful and there's just these beautiful non-verbal glances and looks and gestures and there's there's a depth that that they create when they look at each other or hold each other's hands or you know touch each other and it's it's just so beautifully done it feels natural like it doesn't even feel like acting and that that is the best form of acting you can get when it does not look like acting it looks like natural people you feel like you're spying on people and you should turn away that makes sense that's really good i'm gonna check it out because i didn't I'll expect this clips. from i find from, you clips you know from from a superhero movie like you said but i haven't watched that much dc other than um you know the last movie with logan but I think that was a bit too valent for me. I mean, I do appreciate the themes, but I thought some of the valence was just over the top. And I, I didn't like it. I didn't like that yeah. aspect. That's true. That's true. And, and Logan is a Marvel property, so I wonder if that had anything to do with it. It was, more, it was far more valent than the typical Avengers, by the way. True. True it was. Yeah. It's. And there were I some was... pretty obvious tropes, like the, the clone right you know mm -hmm. science fiction always has clones and unfortunately one of the reasons i did not like the clone was because it was supposed to be a twist and also i did not like how it was kind of used as an excuse to show even more violence because spoiler the clone has even you know more regenerative abilities than logan so you have to inflict a lot of violence against him to basically kill him wow that's yeah, I mean, Sometimes I know this typical. is kind of gross, but um, his face gets ripped off, and he gets impaled. Figures. I, I think I saw that clip. I, yeah, I did not want to see that. I really didn't. I did not. That's horrifying. I, um, I, I, how do I say? There were, there were good things about Logan, but I did not really bother to watch the whole thing, just because I don't know. I, I love the X-Men, but and I love some of the films, you know, to a degree, but I'll always be more partial to certain comics about the X-Men. And I actually, I like the X-Men when they're actually lighthearted and more dystopia because so much of the X-Men is grimdark. And sometimes the way Marvel handles grimdark is very poorly done. Unlike DC's grimdark, which is a lot better. Like you're, you're kind of seeing a little bit of the grimdark with Red Sun, you know? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. I think the worst. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's that grim dark, though. I mean, the the themes in Logan wasn't that uh, dark. I'm okay with dark themes. I just don't like how there's so much zoom in scenes of the balance. Like it just felt exploitative, kind of like Game of Thrones almost. It does. I don't like that either. And, and that's another thing that I like about Snyder's work with DC. Um, you know, he'll do close ups, but 
he's not going to do it for the violence. The violence is often distant. And the violence is not really extraordinarily brutal. What he makes brutal is the reactions to it. Like, um, for example, in Man of Steel, Clark has to come with terms that he cannot always save everybody. Like, I think there is... Um, I need to rewatch it again. I haven't watched it in a long time. Um, I should have watched it for this podcast. But there, there's one where there's an infrastructure collapsing and Clark cannot save everybody and some people die and he sees their dead bodies. And it's not, it's not graphic or gruesome. They're not like totally bloodied or anything, but we know that he's seen them and, and he breaks down and cries. Like it's just a first show of vulnerability because it's, it's just really hit him hard in the reality um, mm-hmm. because he's starting out with this, you know, he's starting out with this. He hasn't become experienced yet. Like we see him in, you know, Batman versus Superman, um, which is why you have to watch these, these three films. Cause you have to kind of go on a journey with these characters as particularly Clark. Um, but, but yes, I, I guess to go back to the original point, um, what I loved was that nonverbal expression. It was, and it felt wonderfully, instinctual it felt just like natural like it did not have to be contrived there did not have to be any kind of banter or contrivance it it just naturally blossomed between these two people and there was like an instant thing of trust and um understanding and um acceptance and i, I think it was really driven home by the fact that um uh you know cavell's take on uh, Clark was, you know, more gentle, more subdued. There was a lot of darkness and a lot of intensity, but at the same time, there was a lot more gentleness and sub- subduedness and and a, and a very strong element of gentleness that is refreshing to see. And you pair that with um, Adam's, you know, very sweet, um, almost like Miyazaki and heroin sweetness. Uh, it pair it pair that, you know. It, it it was just a beautiful, beautiful combination and it works so well and, and the subtlety, the nonverbal stuff, just utterly beautiful. It's 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 just it's just it's just beautiful to watch. And you wouldn't expect that from superhero flicks because we're so used to like bang bang explosion and you know, badass woman flying from a helicopter or something. Mm, I see. So yes, I think we learned a lot today. And you know, it's very interesting to compare these couples together, even though they're from such different worlds. And you know, it's a very unexpected comparison. Yes, yes, it is. It is a very unexpected comparison. It was the most unexpected comparison. I never thought imagined. But when the idea struck me, it it, it filled me with such a joy of revelation. It kept me up for two nights. And I knew we had to do this podcast. I knew I had to tell you. And I was so happy when, when you agreed to do this. So I'm so happy we got to explore this. Absolutely. I think we can definitely talk more about this in the future. And, you know, make more comparisons between established franchise characters and our own. I think we can. I would love to do that. And... Um, we will also have other things we'll be doing like the, um, the red sun review, which we'll be uh, doing. We're going to be doing like a reaction pretty soon to a scene, but we'll probably, maybe we'll do like a whole sit down and watch the entire film and then we can just like react to it. I don't know if that's something we could do. Definitely. Yes. So yes. Thank you so much for coming on. Sorry. Go ahead. 
Oh, I'm sorry. And I guess one last thing is, I guess we could have a funny crossover where our characters are trying to uh, portray these characters and it's going to be funny how they react because it'll be so fourth wall. Mm-hmm. It would be very fun. Yeah. Also, I'd love to see Joel and Malka as, as Lois and Clark. I don't know why. I just, I really want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be an interesting fan art, but I think Joel would have to wear a muscle suit. I don't know. He's kind of well built. Not as much as Clark Kent's. I mean, have you seen him? He, he looks like the Rock. <laughs> he can be a thinner version. I mean, he it's... is buff, but not like you know, like the exaggerated proportions that you know people draw Superman with. That's true. He could be thinner. I mean, we could make up the excuse. Um, oh, poor Superman exposed to too much kryptonite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, thank you so much for this. And I can't wait to talk more about more, you know, franchises and how they relate to our work and, you know, the writing process in general. Definitely. I definitely want to explore more franchises and I I do want to explore more. And I can't wait to do all those uh, Superman-related projects with you. Right. All right. See you. See you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.